Well, this morning we come to the most well-known psalm in all the Psalter. The 23rd Psalm is perhaps the most well-known among religious and the non-religious. It has been repeated at times of celebration and in times of tremendous loss. In its relatively short form, it is brimming with words of comfort and consolation. It encourages the faithful, it admonishes the proud, and lifts the darkest soul. Perhaps this morning, if you're not accustomed to even reading the Bible, you are familiar with this particular chapter. I invite you this morning to turn to the 23rd Psalm. It's found on page 458 in those Black Pew Bibles. I encourage you to turn there and look at it. We're going to consider these wonderful verses about the Lord and His care for His people. This, we are told, is a psalm of David. David would have been very accustomed to the images that he uses. Perhaps written early in his life, as he himself was a shepherd, shepherding sheep, he seeks to use this imagery to apply to the Lord's care for his people. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, in this psalm, seeks to give confidence to God's people. And as Christians, we can be confident in the midst of any circumstance. We can be confident because the Lord continually cares for us. Some have identified this as a song of confidence, encourager. It is meant to lift our countenance when it's down, to encourage us when we're depressed, when our soul feels the weight of the brokenness of this world. There's a sense in which this psalm gives us a sense of clarity, light in the midst of the fog. The purpose of our time this morning, the purpose of this particular psalm, is to reflect on God's continual care for us as His people. To think through this motif that, that God is a shepherd and we are His sheep. That God is a host hosting us at a great banquet and we are His guest. So if you take notes this morning, there's going to be two points that we're going to consider this morning. Number one, the Lord as shepherd. Verses 1 through 4, David pictures the Lord as a shepherd. But then changes in verses 5 and 6 from the Lord as a shepherd to the Lord as a host. Someone who's throwing a great banquet, a dinner party, and he invites us into his home where we can have communion with him. And he provides for us and cares for us. So this morning, let's consider these two aspects of God's character. First, the Lord as shepherd. Just as a shepherd cares for his sheep, 
So also the Lord cares for his people by providing for them, by protecting them, by guiding them. Well, we notice a number of things, the number of the way the Lord cares for us. Number one, he provides. David in verses one through three describes the Lord's provisions for his people. Then in verse four, he considers how the Lord shepherds his people and protects them. Just as a shepherd would protect his sheep, so the Lord protects us when we are in danger. The Lord provides, we see in verse 1, sufficiently. Notice how David begins. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Charles Spurgeon says there's probably no other phrase in all of Scripture that is most encouraging as those words, the Lord is my shepherd. What a wonderful truth to know that if you are His sheep, friend, that He is your shepherd. Notice the personal language that David attributes to God. The Lord, the God of Israel, is my shepherd. The the creator of the cosmos, my maker and creator, he's my shepherd. Surely he is yours. And the psalmist here describes the context in which the Lord provides, that when God provides, he provides sufficiently. Sufficiently. I shall not want, or in the CSB, I have no want. It's... The picture is one of completeness. There's a sense in which we have everything we need because when God provides, He provides abundantly for our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you you have wants. You have desires. Friend, if you're a sheep, if you're one of God's people, He promises to provide for you, to care for you, to give you everything that you need. The Lord, as you cry out to Him in the midst of your loss, in the midst of your difficulty, will provide exactly what you need. And He provides it sufficiently. There will be no lack, no wanting, no desire for something more. Because the Lord provides sufficiently. But He also provides physically. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. David here, as he is developing the imagery in our minds of a shepherd leading his sheep to green pastures where they'll feed upon the grass, begin to nourish themselves with this grass, where he will lead them beside water. Now, sheep, shepherds rather, don't lead sheep to water. Shepherds give them water. They, they provide them water. Uh, they water their sheep. And so the picture here isn't just sheep just sort of walking aimlessly, but rather the shepherd giving, him exact, giving them exactly what they need. He provides for us physically. And God does. From the pages of Scripture, we, we know numerous passages. And we've considered over the summer the, the way God providentially cares for us as His people. Isn't it striking how often we need to be reminded of that? Why? Because it's so tempting for you and I to think that we provide for ourselves. Because we work a job. We go to a supermarket and buy our food and we make it and and feed. There's this, this, this degree of separation 
between God and us. But, but ultimately, we must understand that everything comes from Him. We need to be reminded of this daily. That everything I have, even the air that I am breathing, is a gift from God. He physically sustains us. But God not only physically sustains, notice there in verse 3, He also spiritually sustains. He provides for us spiritually. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God is a restorer of the souls of His people. As our souls become ravaged by the brokenness of this world, they need to be renewed. They need to be refreshed. This is the ministry that God does in our lives through His Word. This doesn't happen just you sitting you know, in the lazy boy, but it happens as you feast upon His Word. This is the means, this is the tool by which God refreshes the soul. His Word. As you feast upon His Word and consume it, He renews your mind. He renews your soul. He provides for you spiritual sustenance. If you turn over just a few pages to Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. A number of weeks ago, we considered this wonderful psalm, Psalm 19, where God's specific revelation through His Word, this revealed will of God found in Scripture, is the mechanism by which God builds us up spiritually. How dangerous it is to think that we are His sheep, but yet don't feed on His food. This is the food that He has given your soul to feast upon. And friend, the temptation in our lives is to feed on junk food. To feed on the things of this world. And, and, and I know the feeling that you get, that, that feeling of hunger. You go and you feed on the world. You, you, you go, you, maybe Facebook or, or some news outlet. You go and feed on this information and you, and you think it's going to satisfy you and it's going to make you happy and it's going to uh, do something in your life, but, but it, it doesn't last. It, it's like eating fast food. You always regret the decision later. And friend, that is so true when you don't feast on the Word. You will never regret a second spent in the Word. But I'll tell you this, you will regret in eternity all the missed opportunities you did not revive your soul through the Word. As Christians, our first in instinct when we're in trouble, when we find ourselves discouraged, depressed, in danger, ought to be in the Word. We ought to respond by studying the Word. Yes, we should have it a part of our regular diet, a daily diet, regularly feeding and feasting upon God and His Word. But, but friend, we ought to develop a reactionary desire every time we run into trouble. We run to the Word. Because it's through the Word that God not only uh, cares for us and renews our minds, but lifts our countenances. It is, if you will, a compass that gets us going in the right direction. This world will only send you in the wrong direction. 
The, the advice of your friends and neighbors and family will only send you in the wrong direction. But God's Word will always send you in the right direction. This is what David goes on to say, that the Lord provides not only spiritually, but practically. He provides practically for His people. Look, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Now, a better translation, found in in, a variety, but Christian Standard Bible does this well, others as well. He leads me in right roads or right paths. See, see, the motif is continuing here. It's a shepherd shepherding his sheep down a path, down a, down a road. And, and the imagery here is that God sh- leads us down a path, the right path, the right road. I've often commended the two ways to live gospel track. We thought about it on Wednesday night. I introduced it to you again. I think it has the best definition of sin one could, could define in the English language. And that is, sin is living life your way rather than God's way. In other words, sin is going down your road, the road you want to go down, not God's road. The word, the, the Hebrew word for road, is the same word that's translated in English as way. We go this way, not that way. And what the psalmist is describing is the Lord taking us down the right road. But it may not necessarily be the road we want to go down. The Lord provides for us, for His people, His will for our life. And so many times we we, we kind of get sideways. I want to know God's will for my life. What does He want? What does He want me to do? We often think about this in the decision-making processes we go through. And you'll hear advice like, we'll go read about it in the Bible. You say, well, what does that have anything to do with whether or not I should take this job or that job? Or I should marry this person and not this person? friend, Because what the Bible does, while it doesn't speak to your exact circumstance and situation... It does help inform your decision-making process. It aligns your thinking with God's thinking. It, it, it is, if you will, putting on glasses where you can see this world the way God sees this world. You can understand and interpret the times the way God interprets the times. It's similar to what you heard Jesus say in John chapter 16 when He says to His disciples, Take heart. You're going to have trouble. They're going to throw you into jail. They're going to arrest you. Some of you, they're going to kill. But be of good courage, he says. Take heart. And if I was there, I would have said, Jesus, you've lost your mind. You just said to me that they're going to persecute me. They're going to kill me. Things are not going to go well for us. We're not going to be successful. We're going to be outnumbered. We're going to be hated by this world. And you're telling me to Perk up, be of good courage, be, be happy. What's wrong with you? Take heart. Why? For I have overcome the world. See, that's a, that's a way to interpret the news. That's a way better way to interpret the news than Fox News, I can tell you that much. Or any other news outlet that you read, whatever your flavor is, whether it be Fox News or NPR, wherever you are in that spectrum, No, you see, this world does not see the way God sees. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? 
Look at the psalmist says, verse 3, for His name's sake. Everything that God does in your life is for His fame. To make Him famous. And friend, if you're a Christian, you know that's so true. How often you tell stories where God did this in my life. God saved me. God led me here. God did this. God did that. God did this. We're making his name famous because God orchestrates the events and the affairs of men and women for his glory. Everything is for his glory. Whether it be his judgment or his salvation, all is for his glory. To make his name famous. To lift high his name. Friend, that ought to be the posture of this church. We are not here to make your name famous. We are not here to make a preacher's name famous. We're not here to make this church famous. We're here, we exist for the sole purpose to make Jesus' name famous in this town. And anything that we do that falls short of that, friend, we ought not to give our time to. It ought to only be to give Jesus, a greater name, a greater hearing among the people of this place. But notice that not only the Lord provides, but He protects. He protects. Now, He's not left behind the imagery of a shepherd yet. And we've all just affirmed that the Lord is my shepherd He leads me in paths of righteousness. He takes me down the right roads. And boy, we have an encouraging, smiley face. And then all of a sudden we recognize it's kind of getting darker down that road. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes God takes us down very dark roads. So that we will trust Him. As shepherd, the Lord protects His people from danger. Dangers that He Himself puts us in. That He Himself leads us to. As a shepherd is leading His sheep, sometimes they have to go through valleys or ravines, dark places where there might be predators that will attack. It's not safe. It's It's not all green pastures. Sometimes it's dark valleys where it seems that the clouds never lift. They they just perpetually come every day. And you wonder, when is the sun going to come out? Notice the picture the psalmist describes. I walk. It is a perpetual, progressive idea. He's walking It's not a stative or once for all. It's a continual walk. An ongoing walk. Something that you face every day. Maybe your experience. It's described here as a valley of shadow of death or darkness. The psalmist may have in his mind imminent death. That literally he is about to die. He has come, God has taken him to a place where he would die. Or, similarly, a place of darkness. Of spiritual and physical darkness. Where it may prompt fear. 
It's a dangerous situation. The sheep are vulnerable. They're helpless apart from the shepherd's care. David would have known these type of situations regularly in his work life. He would have often taken sheep down particular paths that would have threatened their very lives. But he learned that when the Lord leads in this way, there is not to be a spirit of fear, but rather of trust. Notice, I will fear no evil. That though we go through dark times and the enemy may use those as opportunities of temptation, we as his people ought to learn that God has us. That he will keep us till the end. Friend, you affirmed that truth in the song, In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone is a reflection on Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. As the hymn writers reflect upon God's sovereign care of His people, as the Apostle Paul taught the church in Rome, that there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. No fear of death. No fear that, that the enemy can pluck us from our shepherd's hand. What a wonderful image that David has in our minds that though we are in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, though death is imminent, though darkness around us, we need not fear for God is with me. God is with me. This leads David in that second half of verse 4 to illustrate for us that the Lord protects from insecurity. No doubt a dark ravine, even in the midst of death, dying, there's a sense of trepidation, a sense of insecurity. We're we're going down a road we've maybe never gone down before. We don't know what it feels like. We don't know what's out ahead. This is one of the dangers of walking around in a dark room, right? We don't know where something is. We, We need light in order to lead us to the right path. Notice here in verse 4, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David paints the picture of the Lord's protection by providing assurance to his sheep. He assures him, your rod and your staff, they're a comfort to me. Again, it's the image of a shepherd's staff used to not only guide, but correct your rod. Used to discipline sheep when they're out of line. And boy, is there some sheep that need to be disciplined. But the Lord disciplines us. The author of Hebrews says that the Lord disciplines those who are His legitimate children. No one disciplines an illegitimate child, but God disciplines His people. Friends, sometimes life is hard because God is trying to awaken us from our stupor. God is disciplining us. Sometimes we go through seasons of spiritual drought in order that we might entreat the Lord all the more. Perhaps you've been or are in one of those seasons. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What a wonderful image he has. Why is corrective discipline a comfort? Because God loves you. Friend, he's not going to correct you if he doesn't love you. You know that's true of your own parenting. Now, sometimes we parent because we're embarrassed by our kids' behavior. But good parents don't discipline because they're embarrassed by their kids. Good parents discipline their children because they don't want them getting run over by a car. They want them to, you know, stay alive. Because we know how kids can be. And so we discipline our children because we love them. A father who does not discipline a son, the Bible says, doesn't love his son. The Lord loves you, and therefore he disciplines you. The Lord loves you, and therefore he directs you. Friend, it is a comfort to know that God cares for us that much to call out our sin. Just this week, it was a reminder to my own soul how our sin will always come to the light. We are masters of hiding our out in our sin. We like to cover it up. Nobody knows about it. But God is good. And He's so good to us in that He brings our sin to the light. In fact, Jesus says there's coming a day when every sin will be exposed. That God is going to draw out every single thought, action, and deed and bring it into the light. Friend, as a Christian, that ought not to bring fear to your eyes. That ought to bring a sense of humility, knowing that God sees even when no one else does. He cares for us. The Lord provides assurance for us that He is with us even when we feel He is absent. In these ways, the Lord provides and protects as a shepherd. Well, secondly, we also notice here in verses 5 and 6, David shifting his mind from that of a shepherd to that of a host. The Lord has invited him into his home. Notice the language has changed. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life as I dwell where? In the house of the Lord forever. David has been invited into the Lord's house. He said, come on over, we're going to have a big feast. And the Lord cared for David and he cares for us. Notice there in verse 5, abundantly. When God does something, he always goes above and beyond, doesn't he? Perhaps that's been your experience. Surely has been mine. You prepare a table before me. David pictures the Lord setting before him a, a wonderful feast. Now notice the context in which this feast is being prepared. In the presence of my enemies. The enemy is outside. And David is sitting peacefully at the table. He's not eating in haste, knowing that the enemy is outside and ready to attack. But there's a sense of calm over him. A sense of security and peacefulness because of the Lord's abundant protection and care for him. A host who invites us as his guest into his home. The Lord is seen as one carefully and caring rather abundantly. 
future victory is in David's mind. As he thinks about the enemy that is outside will one day be fully and finally defeated. And of course, David had many enemies, powerful enemies. King Saul wanted to kill him. His own son tried to take his throne. David was fraught with many, many enemies. Yet the Lord gave him a sense of calm and peace because of his abundant care for him. Notice here, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's a picture of abundance. Everything the Lord is doing, it's, it's more than enough. It's, it's a picture of blessing and care. To be invited as a guest in this context, in a Near Eastern culture, would be to communicate a sense of intimacy between the host and the guest. This is not mere acquaintances. These are close and dear. Not a stranger by any stretch. David is communicating that God is intimately close to His people. And that intimacy is expressed through the invitation to come into the home. We see also the Lord cares eternally. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The language that David, goodness and mercy, this again harkens back to uh, Exodus chapter 34 verses 7 and 8 about the Lord the Lord who abounds in steadfast love, a God who, who is merciful and gracious to his people. David here is identifying the perpetual nature of God's care. Did you ever consider how wonderful this is? That God's care never runs out. As parents, we grow weary. As teachers, leaders, we grow tired. We get exhausted. We have to go to sleep. But God doesn't sleep. God doesn't rest. He doesn't wear out. He, he's long-suffering with us. Though we may wear Him down, He never wears out. God is, is eternal in His care for us. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that in 10 trillion years from now, God's love for us will, will have not diminished one bit. This ought to bring comfort to you, friend. There's never a moment when God's care for you will be extinguished. No matter how difficult your circumstance, no matter how dark your mind is right now in this moment, God will continue to care for you. An image of a shepherd and sheep. An image of a host and a feast. Friend, it's no wonder why Ezekiel prophesied many years later in frustration about the leaders in Israel who he describes as bad shepherds, who hurt God's people, who feasted on His people. And the Lord renewed His covenant with His people and He says, there's coming a day when I will shepherd My people again. And I will care for them and I will protect them, and I will provide for them. And Jesus picks up this language in John chapter 10, and He declares, 
I am the good shepherd. Friend, that that statement that you know so well, that Jesus is the good shepherd, was not said in a vacuum. It was said to hearken back to this shepherd that David describes in Psalm 23. It is one of John's I am statements. Jesus is emphatically declaring that He is the Lord God Almighty. That He is the one true and living God. He has come from the Father. He has been sent by Him to shepherd a people. I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheep the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way. The man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus has a people of His own possession, brothers and sisters. Like it or not, this is the image that Jesus has. That He has sheep. They're His sheep. They've been given to Him by the Father. And He promises to lay down His life for His sheep. I am the door, he says. What's Jesus saying? That you cannot experience the care of Psalm 23 apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That if you want Jesus to be your shepherd, if you want this kind of protection and care in your life, well, it comes only through a surrendered life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find green pasture. Friend, you can only enter through Jesus. Through repentance and faith and trusting in his work. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that that they might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my my life down for the sheep. What a wonderful picture. Jesus the good shepherd laying down his life. This is what David imagined. This is the kind of protection that he imagined. Not not merely being protected physically in this world, but being protected spiritually. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. We deserve death, but he died in our place and he was raised three days later for our life. Friend, why would you want to follow any other shepherd than Him? Follow Him today. Give your life to Him today. Then you can know and experience the care of the Good Shepherd and the Great Host. Friend, as we consider this text this morning in conclusion... Do you believe that God cares for you in this way? Perhaps this morning you doubt because of the difficulty that you currently are in that God no longer cares for you. 
Friend, I pray that you would find a sense of assurance and confidence to know that God will not leave you nor forsake you. That He has brought you to this valley of darkness. That His name might be made famous in your life as you tell the story of Psalm 23. As you become a living testimony to the care and protection and provision the Lord has for you. Let's pray. Father, thank, th- Father, we pray this morning, as we conclude and think through this text, we pray that you would help us to trust you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bring about conviction of sin in our life, that the proud would be admonished, we pray. Father, those that gather here this morning that are discouraged or broken down by the hardships of life might be lifted up through this truth that you are our shepherd, that you care for